Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Yes, you are. I mean, hi, I'm Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey, Don, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm just sitting here with a big bowl of sauerkraut, stewed tomatoes, and Cairo syrup. Oh, God. Where did you get that concoction? (laughs) That's what I'm reading uh, Dr. Bob and the good old timers with my sponsor. Mm -hmm. And they talk about that in the early days. When they were first starting out, they'd put somebody in the hospital. And Dr. Bob said that was their diet was because the sauerkraut and the stewed tomatoes was healthy and the caro syrup was supplant the alcohol because there was so much sugar. So they make a mixture of that stewed and the people in there would go, please, Dr. Bob, no more sauerkraut. <laughs> Eat your sauerkraut. And I suppose that if Dr. Bob were to come up with that concoction today, it would probably have kale in it, too. <laughs> today it would be kale. <laughs> kale, avocado, and coconut oil. <laughs> yeah, it would be coconut oil instead of caro syrup. It would definitely wouldn't be caro syrup. Hey, that's no good. <laughs> well, it, this is really good, and I really... I recommend it. You know, you could have brought us something to snack on. You've done it before, and you've gotten really slack on it. I mean, the last time was the OMG It's Here Again holiday special. That's right. And you know what? You've been here all this time, and you have never brought anything. You know, you could bring something too, Sam, but enough about us. We have a guest. (sighs) Thank God. Introduce yourself. I'm Thomas. <laughs> hey, Thomas. Hey, Thomas. Thanks I'm... for rescuing my ass. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that sauerkraut. It's terrible. Uh, what a concoction. I would have never gotten sober. Well. Holy shit. You know, they were health fanatics. And it's, it's always been thus. I mean, nowadays, everybody's a health fanatic and some diet, you know, sweeps across the nation. And... The, they were exactly the same way, and they they didn't know what was working to keep somebody sober. So they had some crazy ideas, but they didn't know exactly what it was. I'm glad that over the years, the sauerkraut, stewed tomatoes, and carrot syrup has gotten dropped. Are you going to bring that like to the next AA event, though, the next potluck we I have? Please that's do. what we should do. Please totally. do. Oh, my God. <laughs> Very topical. Yeah, this is like Please. long-term sobriety. <laughs> I've been sober for 200 years. You know, so oh, we got the pre-conference coming up. If y'all don't know what a pre-conference is, talk to your general service representative of your home group and ask them what one is. The pre-conference is coming up, and you and I are riding down with yeah. uh, with Alex. and uh, Who's been on the show. Right. And uh, so uh, they, they always have a potluck at whatever district is hosting the, the pre-conference. You think they would mind if we bring a little something? I think we should. Maybe. Let's... How about some, some stewed tomatoes, sauerkraut, and Cairo syrup donuts? 
I think we ought to just make the st- crock pot of the oh. stew and put it out there for everyone. Are we going to put a, like a little information card on yeah, it with yeah, the background so that, and everything? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm not going with you guys. <laughs> it's oh, wait a minute. Isn't he sponsoring you now? You have to yes, go, yes, right? Yes, yes. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not taking Any this links, suggestion. Thomas. Not Any links. Uh-uh. No way. <laughs> Thomas, uh, when did you get sober? Uh, July 18th of 2009. And what was going on with you that brought you to AA? Uh, tons and tons of pain. Tons of pain, like tons what? of pain. Yeah. Physical pain? No, no. Just, just. Uh, it, it's it's funny. I I I literally woke up one morning and just couldn't keep doing what I was doing. Uh, and and what this guy in Pennsylvania was. Um, teaching me how to uh, manufacture this certain substance. And um, and I was bawling my eyes out, telling him I just can't keep doing what I was doing. And he uh, told me about AA. Next week, I was there. He told you about it? He told me about recovery. What was the substance? Uh, meth. Wow, you were making meth. I didn't know if like you were making concrete Cake? or... no. No, 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 control, no, controlled substances. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the, and the guy you were making with knew about AA. Yeah. He knew about AA. He obviously wasn't sober at the moment, but yeah, he told me about it. <laughs> Had you ever heard of it before? Um, did you, what, did, I, what did you know about it? before? I, I went to an AA meeting when I was about 15, but it was just, um, forced court forced. Oh, so I I was trying to get in there and get out as quickly as possible. I went to I had heard I I had a vague idea of what AA was. I didn't know it. I knew someone who had gone to AA, but I never talked to him about it. Naturally, well, <laughs> no, huh? He would have jumped all over me. Those AAs, <laughs> they'll snatch you up. Yeah, he disappeared into AA. I went to the library. And I, I had gone to the library to get a book, and on top of a library shelf there was a stack of pamphlets about AA and w- are you an alcoholic? And I was going, hmm, that's interesting. And but I didn't want to uh, to pick it up, so I went and checked out a book. Then I went back over there, and I picked up one of those pamphlets and slid it into the book. You stole an AA pamphlet from the library? I stole an AA pamphlet from the library. Make it the last thing you steal, right? (laughs) (laughs) And snuck out and then read it. I was like, ugh. It was was probably another four years before. And a few more stolen items. I'm sure. Yeah, before I got sober. But um, I was glad that pamphlet was there. But that was my impression of AA. It was was really vague. Mm -hmm. And it was those quite questions what about you what you so you had been to a meeting yeah i just it didn't even cross my mind but it I didn't just, occur to you to go no not at all this other guy yeah. so well so you were making meth were you using yeah. meth oh yes so you really weren't drinking were you um it, you know alcohol was kind of peppered into everything i was doing okay um it really wasn't the tip of the arrow i guess for me it was kind of a trail behind it. Okay. And so um, 
I guess I would kind of classify myself as, you know, people ask, what's, what's your drug of choice? You know, that's always the question. And mine was just more, mm. more of whatever you had. If you had it, I wanted more. Absolutely. Yeah. My experience with, uh, so I've, I've got some experience with crystal meth anonymous and some oh, friends cool. in that. And, uh, and so my, my tweaker friends talk to tweaker me. Tweaker friends. Yes. I love that. They, they talk with me about, <laughs> you know, how alcohol, you know, when they were tweaking alcohol, wasn't in play for the most part, yeah. but when they weren't, when they couldn't get it or when they tried to stop or whatever, then the alcohol drinking just really ticked up hard. Yeah. Was that your experience or did you have something different? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think towards the end, what I was doing, I was shooting heroin, eating benzos, and smoking meth. And so, um, dude, you were a fucking garbage can. I was a garbage can. I and and now looking back, it's like that's what you do if you want to die. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of I wanted to be flying high and reckless. Uh huh. Um. So you know, when I first got into AA, I mean, that was a that was uh, that was difficult for me. Yeah, it was all. Why didn't you go to NA? It, you know, and I tried that. Uh, tried a few meetings, and man, I had look. I'd been so disconnected from people my entire life, and when I walked into an AA meeting, I felt connected, right? And so that's what drew me to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and, and look, I, I love the NA, I love NA literature. I read, I probably read more NA literature early on than I did AA literature because it was so, I mean, I had, I was coming in at eighth grade level of reading level. So it's not like I could really understand the big book, mm-hmm. um, unless somebody was reading it with me. And so on my own, I read a lot of the NA literature, um, but I was just home in AA. What, what was it you were connecting to? Two with people I think this guy just took me this guy Richie um, was my first grand sponsor and dude he just took me into his family and and showered me with love with no reservation no reservation whatsoever um, and I had really never experienced anything like that I mean ever and so um, man I was home Mm-hmm. It really is a cool thing to experience the almost instant becoming a part of AA mm. when you come into these rooms. I mean, you know, it, it's not always our experience. I mean, Don, you've ta- called it out about, you know, being a visitor in other locales and not even being welcomed. Right. Um, so it's something that we all need to, to be mindful of. But it is one of those things that um, continues to be a majority of my experience is that um, folks just say, come on in, you're, you're one of us. Mm. Um, what are you doing after the meeting? Things yeah. like that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just moved, lived in outside of the DC area recently. And when I moved up there from North Carolina, you know, of course, starting new and, and exactly what you're saying, it's, it's like, it's a crapshoot. Unfortunately, sometimes people are going to just welcome you in with open arms. Sometimes they're going to be really distant and you're really going to have to put in that effort to get plugged in. Mm -hmm. And I went up there and it's the most bizarre thing happened to me is that I went to a few meetings. I was going to a meeting every day and the people in, in the rooms there called me 
for cool. probably a month straight. I, literally, I would get three and four phone calls a day from people that I was, you know, I would go and introduce myself, say I was new to the area. I would give, they would give me their number, but also take mine and call me the next day. I mean, it was like. That it, is not common around here. Bizarre. Bizarre. Wow, that's beautiful. I love uh, that. Yeah. So, you know, because yeah. around here, the, the the general thing, and this is kind of how I was brought up in the rooms too, is that, you know, you, you give your number to the newcomer and it's up to them to call you. Yeah. And I've heard the occasional mention of someone sharing in a meeting that they call newcomers. Yeah. Um, I love that that was your experience there. Oh, it yeah. certainly helped, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we... we well, that, some, you've been sober a while. This is when you moved. Yeah. Well, I, new people. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I was area. probably... I got seven years sober at this point. So I, I had been coming around a while, knew what I was supposed to do. But I, I mean, my sponsor that I got up there probably called me more the first month than I called him. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and I love it because it's sometimes we expect newcomers to have the right questions. And, and I don't think that's reality. They don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have no clue. Well, I know that it sometimes when I've, Wanted because I've done that occasionally. Called somebody when I give somebody a number, I get their number. Yeah, and it's amazing how calling someone when I'm feeling squirrely or I'm feeling agitated about something in my life, calling up somebody and just saying how you doing, it it doesn't really matter who it is. It's like it gets me out of myself, and yeah, pretty mm-hmm. soon I'm helping somebody else. You know, yeah. making a connection. Right. Phone calls are tough even for old timers. Yeah. Not all of them, but but phone calls are tough. And this idea of expecting a newcomer who's already like beaten down and also um afraid. Yeah. To be the one that makes all the calls. Now I certainly I'm I'm one hundred percent behind that thing of there's got to be some desire. There's got to be some <laughs> hunger there yeah. on their part. Absolutely. And showing that does come from, you know, making phone calls, mm-hmm. showing up to meetings, answering the phone uh, is one of those things too. So, you know, I'm kind of getting right now a little bit of a, a sober slap upside my head of, I need to make some more phone yeah. calls. Yeah. Yeah. If you're feeling bad, nothing works like making contact with somebody else. Thomas, what was uh, when you came into AA? What what was your experience as somebody new? Describe um, it, your, your take on it. It's, I, I lived in this like halfway house behind a, a AA clubhouse, and so I literally could roll out of bed in pajamas and walk over across the parking lot and go to an eight o'clock in the morning meeting. And so my first six months. This is, I love this. Um, There was a guy there. You know, I I say this pretty frequently. I was like, man, I I was not sure I wanted what AA had. I just was damn sure I didn't want what I had anymore. Mm -hmm. And I went to this meeting, I would say every morning, because this one old timer made me laugh. I, I I didn't care about the topic. I didn't care anything. I just knew that, that I wanted to hear what he had to say because I was going to laugh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just not something I was experiencing when I first got here. So I, when I tell people when, you know, first early on, it's like, go to a fucking meeting. It doesn't matter why I just keep going, you know? And, and I went because this dude made me laugh. That's fantastic. Yeah. Saturday night I was in a meeting and, and a, uh, a friend, former sponsee shared about his first physical meeting. He went to meetings online first, but his first physical meeting 
was walking down the stairs to that meeting, that Saturday night meeting, and hearing all the laughter in that room, he turned around because he thought he was going to the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he came on down and it's like, this can't be right. Alcoholics having fun, laughing. Very bizarre. Yeah. It needs to be attractive. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly we've got some heavy subjects we talk about, but I, I wish I could quote the big book right now. And maybe Don will make this edit and make me sound really awesome. We aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and have been given the power to help others. Uh, yeah, I was attracted to that too. You could... I remember one meeting, there's always people standing around out front, and they had red plastic cups, so it it looked like a keg party. <laughs> but <laughs> they were they just had Coke and water in, in plastic cups, and they were standing around out there laughing and cussing and talking about God in front of a church. And I'm like going, <laughs> what? is this and it, but it was a really attractive though the god stuff was off-putting yeah it was really but what i was attracted to the light in people's eyes hmm. i remember the uh, noon meeting that i went to every day all those people in there they seemed so healthy and like their skin glowed and <laughs> this was near a nuclear power plant. Were you right? on DTs? <laughs> what was happening in your life right there? No, it was, it was that I was so depressed and I was in such a dark hole that l looking at people who were just living their lives naturally, whose life wasn't oppressing them, I didn't understand it. I, that's why I didn't understand what they had, but I found that attractive. Mm. So t tell us something about that happened in the early days with working the steps. Like what was the, one of the steps that your thinking changed after you began to approach it? Hmm. Did you work the steps right away? What are the steps? Oh, you got your work cut out for you. <laughs> As I tell my new sponsor, right? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I was taken through the steps pretty quickly early on, which I was really grateful for. But um you know, I think when I started looking people in the eye on steps nine, on step nine, and really owning my past and like really putting effort into wanting to change it is really what shifted my viewpoint on this whole recovery thing. Um, I, I didn't, I, I'd that's made, where the change happens. Yeah, I'd, I'd made a shit show of my life. And so at that point, I was actually willing to like face it and make it right. And I, I, that was beyond my kind of my conception or belief or, you know, it was just well beyond anything that I've ever known. And so that really sticks out with me early on. Yeah, I, the the first amends that I made, I felt like, you know, this could, I can see the way forward here. Mm -hmm. There's a way out of this trap that I had gotten myself into with alcohol addiction. And 
there was a, and I could see that there's a possibility of really like a clear path forward of a different way of living. And before that, it was all theory. But after having made an amend and, and that amend, that first amend went well, then it's like, well, okay, things are going to be different if I do this. This is going to, I can see that this can work. Mm-hmm. Now, before that, it was all, I was doing it on faith. You know, it's interesting to me that um, four and five, eight and nine continue to come up as, as big steps for people. Um, in our last episode, we had someone, uh, Jody, was talking about uh, eight and nine being really big. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've recently had a conversation with a friend who's uh, been sober for a, a good amount of time. I mean, I don't know, over 10 years, who has taken to doing more amends work lately because he's realized that he has amends that are over a decade or more old that he has not done anything with. Mm. And the desire to do these things has ticked up in him, and he's already started it and is feeling a change. And I think the reason that 8 and 9, 4 and 5, 8 and 9 come up so strongly for us is because these are steps where major changes happen. I mean, this is where... It's scary work to do. It's hard to do that fourth step. It's hard to look at myself and, and, and write all that stuff down the first time. It's hard to sit down with someone and tell these things the first time. And then going to eight and, and getting ready to make amends, being willing to make amends to all these people that I've harmed. So I've actually listed them out. Mm-hmm. And then actually doing things to clean up the crap I've done. This is where major changes happen. At least they did for me. Shit. Hearing that, it's like, now I feel like I need to call my sponsor. Um, (laughs) You know, because you you mentioned people, somebody with 10 years. And, you know, it's really that effort to continually live that amends sometimes fades over time. You know, you make Mm -hmm. that direct amends. You start behaving differently in a very intentional way. And then after a number of years that kind of, or at least for me has kind of, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about that is there's some amends that I could put a lot more effort into on a daily basis, like my parents or, um, you know, it's, it's like I've kind of gotten into a groove of not doing minimal work, but not doing, not making it extremely intentional. Hmm. Are you saying that you're, you have, Fallen off on your effort in the amends? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think I think early on it, I, I, it was very intentional. You know, mm-hmm. mom, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try my best to be a better son, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what moving forward, and if there's anything I can do to make it right, you please let me know, right? And then so, following that, I called more. I went and asked her to go to lunch more, and and you know, over the years, that kind of. I don't know if I'd take it for granted of that relationship, but it's not, there's not a fire under my ass to really put that effort into it. So hmm. I can really see how somebody, you know, cause like me, I'm at almost 10 years. And I, you know, that I think long-term I sobriety that. is about, uh, constantly redirecting myself and repurposing myself. Like it's important that I, I keep, recommitting to what I'm doing 
and mm-hmm. being aware of it. And I did that with my mother. In fact, I shared on the last podcast about making amends to my mother. And she said, when I was making amends, I was making a financial amends. And she said, this is what I want, which was to talk to each other. We were talking to each other. And I continued to call her throughout her life. But towards the end of her life, she was at a nursing home. And I'm glad that I had all of AA there because I was like, okay, I need to be there. So after work, I would go by. I didn't go by every day, but I went three to five times a week at the end of the workday and just to say hello, check up, be in contact. And towards the end, she was, uh, she had dementia and she didn't even know who I was, but I had made that commitment to her when I made that amends. So I continued to, but it, it caught, I had to reapply mm. myself to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to go, okay, but I don't want to go. Oh yeah. You don't want to go. What does that have to do with it? You said you were going to do this, you know. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. We do have to constantly redirect ourselves. You know, I um, I had a huge relationship with my grandmother when she was alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was really fed by AA. By my Her proximity allowed me to show up and be with her at least once a week, often more, but talk on the phone, etc. She's gone now. And one of the things that's happened is her being the anchor of the family. The family's not as connected as it was. And I have added a reminder to my phone that is not a direction of call your mother, Sam. (laughs) But it is a reminder, an invitation, if you will, um, once a week that fires off, that's just a little reminder to put that, that thought in my head of, of give your mom a call. And I may call her then, I may call her the next day or two days <laughs> later, but it's yes. in my head yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. because it is so easy to not do stuff. It, yeah. You know, there's a, kind of a feeling like that might be cheating, but no. It's a tool. It's a tool. And you've told, you told me about that and I did that. Mm-hmm. This is just between the three of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I've got a message in my phone to remind me to ask my wife how she's feeling. Because I won't do it. <laughs> I mean, I won't think of it. Yeah. I yeah. want to, but... This is the person I want to be, but I need a little <laughs> kick in the pants to do it. So <laughs> this reminder comes up and goes, well, how are you feeling today? And she appreciates it. And see, I don't have any problem with that. Our roles and my my marriage are reversed. So my wife would have to put that, you know, because I'm always like, baby, how are you feeling? How was your day? Oh, my gosh. You know, it's completely reversed. Like, so when she gets sick, she gets whiny like a guy. When I get sick, I'm like, I'm okay. I'll just work through it, right? It's Everything is completely reversed. It's bizarre. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I heard you speak. And it was beautiful and beautifully clear the way you described alcoholism, the way alcoholism works. Used to work in a treatment center, I know. Mm -hmm. And you just have a way of describing. So can you lay out for somebody new who might be listening, what's the difference between craving and being an alcoholic, being physically addicted and mentally obsessed 
Can you talk about those concepts a little bit? Yeah. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> I mean, my, my take on it, and I look, I'm not a psychiatrist or a therapist or any, any of that. I, you know, I'll, I'll leave all of the, the, the formal words up to, you know, the professionals. But um, my take on it and what I've experienced and seen is, is alcoholism slash addiction. You know, you have two part, a mental obsession and physical compulsion, right? And so... I have a mental obsession over this thing that changes the way I feel. And once I put it in my system, I can't gauge what I do next. I can't control how much I take. And that's when the craving kicks in. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, my, my parents aren't alcoholics. They're not addicts. They don't suffer from substance use disorder, right? And so when I try to describe this to my mom, it's like I ask her, you know, what? You know, and, and this is, it's like trying to describe chocolate ice cream to someone who's never had chocolate or ice cream you know mm -hmm. it's like it's it's damn near impossible right i mean there's no way for someone that doesn't have this to fully grasp the the depth and weight of this illness and so you know i ask her you know what's your favorite food and and she always talks about this damn casserole her mom used to make you know and so <laughs> it's just like broccoli and chicken casserole and so i'm like okay mom you know, you know how you feel when, when, when Nana would cook it and you'd eat some. It just, you know, felt really great. Everything, you know, it was just like a, um, for dinner, it was just like, oh, man, this day has been great. Or, you know, well, multiply that by a million, right? <laughs> yeah. Multiply that okayness by a million, okay? And, and so it's, that confuses them right off the bat. Like, oh, okay. You know, and so then let's take it in a step further and say, let's say it's the only thing you can think about. And, and you know, this damn casserole all day long. Oh, Nana's making this casserole. I just can't wait to get home. Right. You know, it's going it, to and I'm going to get this this end result from eating it. And mm -hmm. so and then we'll take it a step further and say, let's say you're deathly allergic to the casserole. And that's kind of the predicament I found myself in. And you guys can speak as well. But, you know, it's like once I started putting this in my system and, and got the result that I did when I put it in my system, then I started thinking about it all the time. Oh, my God. But then I had this deathly allergic, you know, allergy to this these substances where um, I couldn't control me. You know, I was, after I put it in my system, I was driven by whatever that was, my decision-making, um, nothing else mattered. It but took over. It took over, right? And so, you know, I had no idea that this was an illness. Well, like if it takes over, then just don't, don't ever put it in your system. Well, that's, that's great. I would love if that was the case. <laughs> that, you know, it, if that was the case, there probably wouldn't be AA, there would probably 12 step recovery would have never come along because, you know, when I, a few years ago I was working, I moved up to DC, like I mentioned, and ended up helping open a, this treatment center up outside of DC. And at that moment, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about different chemicals, drugs that um, can help people with addiction, alcoholism. Right. And so there is, were, is there a drug that I could take so I could drink 
Normally, no. you'd take twice as much. <laughs> you would take twice as much. I wouldn't. I wouldn't stop eating the pills, you know. Yeah. But at the moment, there were there were thirty three different substances, drugs that could be prescribed to help with that physical compulsion, right? So if you put it in your system, it makes you feel ill, or mm-hmm. if you put it in your system, you don't get the effect, right? And there was zero for the mental obsession. I mean, yeah. this is a number of years ago, but. That speaks volumes to me that it's if I could just not do it and not put it in my system, setting that chain of events off, well, then I wouldn't. But that's all I can think about. I mean, Mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, that's all. It reminds me of the conversation I had with my brother. This is the problem that people who aren't, aren't alcoholics looking at alcoholics go, well, why don't you? You're killing yourself. Why don't you quit? I, I described to my brothers, like, you know that feeling that comes over you when you have a drink and it, like, goes inside <laughs> and you get this feeling of, like, blossoms out and everything, like, comes into focus. And oh, yeah. You get all this energy. And he looked at me with his face all screwed up going, no. <laughs> it was like, he said, everything gets all blurry and gets out of control. I don't, I don't like it after, I mean, I like one drink, but then any more than that, things are getting out of hand. See, that is abnormal. And I think one of the things that we need to totally reframe in all of this is that alcoholic drinking is normal. And all these people who can take a drink and stop (laughs) are weird. It does say somewhere in the big book that after a time it becomes the only normal way of living seems like to the alcoholic and it seems like everyone else is screwed up. But that blew my mind. It was like, he's having a different physiological Mm. response Mm -hmm. than I'm having to one drink. And I think that means he's defective. (laughs) Well, but the difference, but it's no wonder that they can't understand. Yeah. Understand. Yeah, it is. It is that. I mean, I love that that you put it out there. The uh, the chocolate ice cream. What a wonderful thing. How do you describe chocolate ice cream to someone who has never experienced either or anything close to them? Yeah, it's cold. Um, you know, so what else can you say? Uh, it's cold. Yeah. It's got yeah. umami. Yeah, it, you, there's, it's hard to, yeah. to explain. It's, yeah, yeah. It's it's you're in the dark. You know, I have a I have an uncle that, uh, well, my uh, my wife's uncle, and every time we get together, he still asks me, "Is this an illness?" Like, you know, he. I mean, this has been years. This conversation has has lasted years, and and I still tell him the same answer. Yes, like we know that it is an illness. Like we can take two different people, one person that has the gene and one doesn't, and and they're going to react different to the drugs, right? So, but somebody that doesn't understand that, then it's, it's, it's hard to teach them. Well, so the problem is, it, so I don't drink. So you would think that I don't have All right, to I need a new sponsor. <laughs> so I you would think I don't need to worry about it anymore, but the, the truth of the matter is I need to continue to go to AA to remind myself that... I don't need to change the way I feel. I need to feel the way I feel. Because mm. if I don't do it, it will 
it seems to me what will happen at some point as I will become, I've, and I've seen people go out, is that I'll get that. It will make sense to do something to change the way I feel to get out of this feeling. And all of the steps, all of long-term recovery are about dealing with life on life's terms, not changing the way I feel to get out of life, which is what I, the way I use drugs and alcohol, was to get out of it. My first prayer that I said to the nothing that I didn't believe in the first time I prayed was, God, get me out of this, because I was about to blow up. I felt like a skinned cat crawling across the highway. That's a visual. That's bad. That's bad. I've never heard that. Don't make that artwork. And it it was like something's gonna give. And I well, I felt like I was gonna explode. Mm -hmm. And something had to give. And I was I was gonna go get drunk, or I I was gonna have to do something different. And I've been going to meetings for two weeks. And people were talking about praying and asking God for help. I didn't believe in that, but I decided to do it. And that was my prayer. Get me out of this. Mm. And my next thought was, you don't need to get out of this. You need to go through this. You've always tried to get out of everything. You can go through this. It wasn't like the voice voice of God God, 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 God. coming down. It was... It was my voice in my head, but... A new thought. It wasn't my thinking. Yeah. I had never thought, let's have pain. <laughs> let's go through it. I can go... And, and I was going, I can... Okay, I can get through this. And I felt... And I did. I got through it. And I got to a meeting that night. And then I got through another day. And I got through another day. Feelings are fucked up <laughs> i mean even even after a, a, you know a, a while coming here i mean i god just sitting in some feelings and what i've realized too is that i'm the one that labels the feelings as bad or good mm. I, it, they just are feelings are feelings they're not bad or good i mean you know if i look back the the worst day if you were going to look at my life as a timeline, the worst day of my life actually ended up being the, the most beautiful day of my life, right? Coming into recovery. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, so I only grow through these, you know, people you hear this all the time. Pain is, is, you know, how I grow. And so, um, I've been trying not to label them as bad or good. And just, yeah. just, they are. That's a good, that stop saying that's, good. That's really useful. Bad. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Leonard Cohen has a song. I don't trust my feelings. Feelings come and go. You know, one of the things that I got clear on some time ago and it's really served me well is that not not using that good and bad um judgment because what it boils down to is there are things that I like and things that I don't like. And I want to say the things I don't like are bad, and the things that I do like are good. Yeah. Well, I sure did like drugs and alcohol. That didn't work out That's so damn well. Good point. Yeah. Um, I sure as hell did not like physical exercise. <laughs> I'm getting better on that one, but um, but it it it's something that you know I I will not do on my own. I've got a trainer <laughs> saying do this, and I do it. Um, yet that's good. So my, my judgment of good and bad is flawed 
my judgment of good and bad totally comes from things I like and things I don't like. Yeah, I don't. Tr- I don't trust it. Yeah, I hated the fact that in AA meetings, I was like going, for the rest of my life, I'm supposed to go to these meetings and listen to the same crap being read before the meeting every time. I've read the steps. I've read the traditions. Why do we have to say somebody's got to read it every single meeting? It's driving me crazy. It's like he's reliving it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems like a bad feeling. It was, <laughs> That was a bad feeling. That was a bad feeling. But it was, I can't, I was totally wrong. Yeah. I, early on, I love this. This dude told me, I was like, how long do I have to go to these damn meetings? And he looked at me and just kind of looked around. He was like, you, you go for an hour. <laughs> I've never heard that I response. mean, I was, I was being so sincere when I was like. Just one day at a time, how, baby. <laughs> how long do I really have to go? You know, he was in recovery. Yeah, I was like, yeah. How long, you know. He was And he just you. said, we go for about, you go for about an hour. I about love hour. that. That's it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Last question I asked that guy. That's good. <laughs> Steering clear. Yeah, and it stuck with you. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was a newcomer who uh, came up to us. I guess he'd been sober for, it was his second week at, at the meeting. And he came up to me and my sponsor. And he was going, well, yeah, I quit drinking and I've, uh, I've quit smoking and I've started exercising and I'm, I've got a much better diet. And, and Gary said, how good do you want to get? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. first thought is like, you're about to die, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you take it one thing at a time? Oh, you know, man. I've, I've shared this on an earlier podcast some some time ago, but uh, I heard it uh, from someone that uh, that just like, I listen to what he says, and he said, we quit things in the order in which they'll kill us. Yeah. Hmm, and like it's like, that, that kind of works. Yeah. So it's taken me a long time to get into this physical exercise thing, you know. And this is off topic, <laughs> and I don't know my. I've been uh, thinking about this, you know. I, I, when I was working at a treatment center, and we worked with a lot of physicians. I'm a professional group, and so the guy that was overseeing this group, and, and I don't know why I'm sitting here thinking about this, but um, you know, when you, you work with physicians, and we can edit all this shit, but when we work with physicians. <laughs> Don't edit a thing, Don. I'm not so, editing it. When we work with, you know, you work with physicians, with him, he they would always, a lot of times, want more information, want more information. The second, <laughs> is this a newcomer? or? Yeah, this is a guy that's like in, these, in treatment. Um, you know, do you have any more books on, on alcoholism addiction? You know, I just want more information, more information. And, and he would calmly be like, um, are you sure? So I got this book. It's really in-depth by this doctor and he'd be like, yes, you know, and, and he'd give him a Dr. Seuss book. What? He'd make him carry it around. Right. It's like, because just taking yourself, like I need more and more, give me more. Like I want to change everything. Right. And he'd, he'd give him a Dr. Seuss book. He'd be like this doctor wrote this amazing (laughs) book. Right. You know, but there's, there's something to that. I mean, it is that thing of knowledge does not fix us. Chill out. Yeah. Calm down. (laughs) He's kind of making fun of him, I think. Well, yeah. I don't think it's Friday. Like, calm down. Yeah, it's okay. You know? It's like, yeah, don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, I love it. I do not like that, Sam. I am. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm, yeah, no, 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 no. 
Look, I have I have Sam I am in Russian, by the way. <laughs> do you? I do. Thomas, what's um, a step that you did that changed your thinking in your recovery? So, well, we talked about nine earlier. And mm-hmm. so um, I think all of the steps, there's not really to nail down. I think one, one big one would probably be step 12 of, of actually, you know, after six months of, I don't even know six months. It was probably more like four of meeting once a week with my sponsor. And so after we finished reading, working with others, he's like, okay, now you got to start raising your hand. You got to go sponsor people. And I'm like, oh shit. Like, I don't know anything. I mean, I know (laughs) I just did this, but it was like a whirlwind of just weird shit. Um, And so (laughs) really, but, but, you know, starting to work with others, you know, I, I made a commitment to go to this um, shelter every Wednesday, our our home group did. For about a year and a half, I would show up and and go every Wednesday. And sometimes people would come down to the meeting. Sometimes people wouldn't. And and this one day, and I'll I'll just, you know, this is just one example. I was telling my story and and a guy came down and had no teeth. um, He had two black eyes. face was I mean he really had just gone through something bad um, and I told my story and he looked at me completely sincere and just said you know Thomas I'm so glad you came to tell me how bad it could possibly get and I'm thinking holy shit man like you know just yeah. the denial of this guy that, that his family you know he didn't have his family anymore didn't have a job didn't have a place to live he, he had lost his entire set of teeth yet feeling bad for you he was feeling bad for me yeah i mean you know that's talking about shifting your view on the world and and where you're at you know another thing i went to used to go to the the ymca here when i first got sober and you know early in recovery like (laughs) that i was very consumed with women my thought process with women, right? <laughs> and I was swimming, I was swimming laps, and I was just so in my head, so, so in my head, you know? And and was thinking about, oh my gosh, just, you know, self-pity, and, you know, nobody likes me, and how am I going to get a girl? Just ridiculous thinking. And as I'm leaving this little gym, there was a little pool, and um, a guy was, was holding, she, she probably was nine or ten, and... Uh, was was handicapped and and just singing in this little pool as he held this little girl and it's like instantly my shit that I was thinking about just completely dissolved you know and it's like it cast you out of yourself completely completely you know and that that's the kind of result I get when I am trying to apply the principles in all my affairs it's like um my my self-consumption dissolves away. I find myself these days easily moved by moments of uh, of gratitude, I guess is what it is, of recognition of, 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 of my appreciation of something I'm seeing. It could be this patch of flowers that that I know that my grandmother would love. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, you know, a fucking commercial. Um, it, it, it can be a YouTube <laughs> video. It can be something, but it, it's, it's these moments of allowing 
the interruption of my self-consuming thoughts mm. and then allowing you know, one of your favorite things from your sponsor, be careful, Sam, you might have fun. Yeah. Um, be careful, Sam. It, you might laugh. You might enjoy this. It might change your mood. And so those, those things that, that take me out of myself and give me that interrupt to being a self-centered ass that give me the opportunity to go choose a different path. If I'm paying day. attention. Yes. It's key. Key. Yeah. Well, I hate to interrupt. Then don't. Like, I hate to crosstalk, but I don't mean to crosstalk, but there's a feathered postman outside. Cue the Harry Potter music. It's got a letter, and it's in his beak? <laughs> Quick, Th- Thomas, catch that thing. It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old-timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, laddie. Laddie? (laughs) We've just had a St. Patrick's Day. I wish you every joy in the world, Sam, and a good life, and all the money you can possibly make, and may you never die until I shoot you. (laughs) If you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. All right, we've got a question. Um, this one is a little suspect. Ah. It's from Aria of Winterfell. Okay, I, I think that's an alias. I think it I'm might putting be. I don't forward. think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eager to hear the question. I'm <laughs> sitting on the edge of my... F- Aria? <laughs> Aria. Oh, that's bad, Don. <laughs> How do you maintain your relationship with God? How do you maintain your relationship with God? Daily practice. First off, in AA, I will use the word God, but in a larger meeting, and I guess this is like a larger meeting, a podcast on the internet, I think it's okay to say higher power because a lot of people have problems with the word God. Howard be by name. (laughs) My Howard (laughs) power. So a relationship implies uh, an ongoing, you know, commitment. And I have fought for a long time. I resisted morning prayer and meditation. And it occurred to me that it's kind of like piano practice. When I turned 30, I decided I wanted to learn how to play the piano. And I loved the idea of playing the Mm -hmm. piano. And so I started reading books about playing the piano. And then I started listening to recordings of special piano players and how they approached it. And, well, I just studied up on everything about the piano except actually sitting down and playing because it was hard. You know, I even got a um, piano teacher and still going to the lesson. It was up to me to practice every day because if I'm not actually sitting down at the keyboard and playing striking the keys then I'm not playing the piano all I'm doing is thinking about playing the piano and having a relationship with my higher power involves more than me reading about my higher power talking about my higher power listening to other people talk about higher power 
I think Bill called those theological abstractions. Yes. And what it involves is sitting down and saying a prayer. I have to sit down and say a damn prayer. Damn it. And if I don't do that, I'm not including God in my life. Mm -hmm. That's what it amounts to. All I'm doing is thinking about it. So I gave up. Uh, You know, also I realized this was about four weeks ago. The reason I don't meditate in the morning, and I've gone through periods of doing long meditations. I've gone through periods of doing short meditations. But what it really boils down to is I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't want to do it. (laughs) Well, I don't know that that's a good enough reason for me. The The whole time I've been sober, it's like, it's not about what I want to do. It's if I want to stay sober, I got to get sober someone else's way. They talk about doing a morning meditation. I need to do it. So I'm doing it, even though I don't want to. <laughs> and I'm doing it every day. And I'm doing it every day because I want to include God in my life. And if I do my morning prayer and I do morning meditation, I have included my higher power in my life, and it makes it easier during the day to then access my higher power. I'm not starting. It's like a a wood stove. I got coals and glowing in the bottom of the wood stove. Well, then it's easy to start a fire. You just throw a log in there. It goes right up. But if the thing's sitting there, you got to stoke the fire. Well, you got to do the morning prayer every day. There's an old timer wood stove <laughs> metaphor I'm, I'm, for you. I just totally went to you know sacrifice. You got to throw a sacrifice onto the coals. That's and- not that's <laughs> not what I was talking about. Sacrifice. <laughs> I'm talking about having a hotbed of coals and throw a sacrifice on it. <laughs> a sacrifice of your time and your willingness. It is a sacrifice of my time <laughs> and my willingness to do it. And if I do it. My higher power is the inner flame that burns within. Howard be thy name. (laughs) I'm going to stop now. Good, yeah. Uh, Thomas? (laughs) How do you maintain your relationship with God? I I don't want to follow that at all. (laughs) Um, So before coming into recovery, I was so disconnected from people. And that's really where I find God is connecting with people. And so I, I think it's not just the prayer meditation and really trying to think about the spirit of the universe throughout the day, but, you know, what I do at night, I'm trying to connect. But it's the other things of calling, talking to people and, and trying to stay connected because that's where I... You know, Don, you and I were talking about yesterday when we're reading out of the big book. It's like, this is something I can actually feel. And so where I feel it is when I'm connecting with other people. And so that's where I have to really continue to do. That's how I stay connected with my higher power um, is completely through people. Um, And so... You know, when when I start isolating, that really makes me disconnect, unplug from the universe around me, and so so it's important to stay around people for me. Don't isolate. Don't isolate. 
and go to meetings. <laughs> and go to meetings. Yeah. No, I mean, and not just going to meetings, but <clears throat> look, I can, I can, and look, I, is everything positive in my life is a direct result of working these steps and being in this fellowship. But, you know, I can find beauty and, and God in so many different areas of my life and not just going to a meeting and, mm. you know, talking I spiritual and, and listening to people's, you know, it's, you know, real recovery occurs the 23 hours. I'm not in a meeting, right. When nobody's looking, that's where real recovery occurs for me. And so, you know, walking around my block, Going to the gym, you know, that's, um, I can still do that, uh, stay connected to people, just, you know, like I said, walking around the block, you know, it's, it's, it, am I being open or am I closed and, and really reminding myself to try to stay open. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, earlier, it's, it's pay attention. I, you know, I have to pay attention. You know, my higher power is completely engulfed in my life and I can at all times I can walk through life consumed in my little viewpoint, my tunnel vision and not see anything throughout a day. Or I can try to stay open and really view the, the flowers that my grandmother would have loved. You know, I, I, you know, you see that that's something that when that occurs and I'm paying attention, I feel something that is greater than me. And and that is something extremely tangible to me. And so I just have to really not I it's more like you guys have to remind me to stay open. But the willingness comes from you. Fuck. Hell no. If the willingness came from me, I think. I would have jumped off a ledge a long time ago. I mean, you know, I, I, me on my own, I I will drive straight into a tree. You know, I I think, um, I think pain really gives me the the willingness to try something different. And I guess maybe the willingness does. I don't know. Fuck if I know. I really, I'm, 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 what I'm saying is you've got to be willing when you have the urge like you were describing, isolating. Right. There's a certain amount of willingness on your part that even though I feel this way, I'm going to do what other people have said to do and reach out. Touche, sponsor. (laughs) You're right. Welcome to another episode of sponsorship on (laughs) The Boiled Owl. I loved your description of of your higher power being connected with other people. Hmm. And the feeling of like seeing flowers that relate to Sam's grandmother and feeling that and allowing that that is my higher power. Hmm. I really, when you said, am I open or closed? You know, that, that's a huge summation for me of this. I mean, I really don't have a lot to add to what you guys have said here. Um, you know, a, the simple practical things that I have to maintain my relationship with God. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I slide out of bed. I don't even sit on the side of the bed and stand up. I slide out of bed down to my knees and I say a prayer. That's something that I picked up seven years ago, Des- decided to do something a little different. You know, in the very beginning, I had a reminder on my phone that, or, or in my calendar that sent an email or something. I don't know. It was on my Palm Pilot. That's what it was in. That told me to pray. I needed a reminder to pray Mm. in the very beginning. But now it, you know, I mean, when we sat here starting this episode, I said a little prayer. 
Y'all didn't know it. Now you do. That's just how I operate now. So it's I, I love there's there's something in the in the book book along where uh, we wouldn't refuse prayer as as a flower would sunshine or something like that. Air or water, I think something like that. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's something there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's just a normal part of my life now. That connection is there. The meditation thing, I continue to try on all kinds of different ways of listening, um, but one of the ways that it continues to show up for me is God is in people. Mm-hmm. The people in my life, particularly when I'm open to them, I get things that are not necessarily just the heart that's there i get the whole how's that that for deep that's good real deep (laughs) thanks it's all about boxes thanks wood (laughs) wood burning fireplace or stove it's a wood burning box Box. steel box i I think you two are a little bit more down to earth i I think i I got a little you have a spiritual gas giant for a sponsor Just had beans. Visualize world peace. Oh, God. <laughs> Where's that damn owl? <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. <laughs>